Welcome to Season 8 of Purposeful Empathy, a show that is dedicated to amplifying the voices of people from around the globe who understand the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. Today's episode is brought to you by Grant Huron International, an on-demand coaching provider for individuals and companies. Thanks so much for watching. Enjoy the show. Welcome to a new episode of Purposeful Empathy. Today I'm joined by Dr. Julie Fraga, who's a psychologist and co-founder of the Empathy Bootcamp, which is a training company that teaches students, leaders, and educators empathic skills that improve their well-being. In her clinical practice, she focuses on women's health concerns primarily related to maternal mental health. Julie's written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, NPR, Wired, Parents, Real Real Simple, self helpline etc fabulous welcome to the show julie thank you anita thank you so much for having me i'm excited to talk to you about the empathy boot camp because i learned about it quite some time ago and this is a long this conversation's a long time coming um when i went back to refresh myself about the work that you guys do something caught my attention um on the website and that was There was a the vice president of people at Google said, and this is a direct quote based on your work, right, as a testimonial, incredibly powerful. It gives us a way to talk to each other that allows us to be more fully ourselves. So with that sort of like as a frame, what is the Empathy Boot Camp all about? That's a great question. Empathy Boot Camp is really a training program where you receive a certificate in what we call empathy intelligence. Um, but instead of being kind of this, you know, dry training we might do in our jobs where we're just learning a bunch of terminology and we're learning kind of what to say, what not to say, we're really giving real life examples of how you can not only um, become more empathic, um, we challenge empathy's myths. You know, what are some things that we kind of get wrong about empathy? If we're a certain type of person, for instance, a lot of people think of empathy as merely feeling with the other person. So if you're that cerebral person that kind of veers towards the logical, you might just think you're not very good at empathy, you know, um, but looking at the different compo- the different types of empathy, how those befriend each other, work together um, to show empathic concern, you know, for somebody else who's struggling, um, giving people a language Um, to talk with, you know, whether or not it's a struggling colleague, whether or not it's a family member, whether or not it's um, an ailing neighbor, Um, talking about listening styles. What are some things that we do that get in the way of how well we listen to others? We call these non-listening styles. They're um, pretty fun and we give people exercises. So you're flexing that empathy muscle. Um, So that's a little kind of, you know, uh, synopsis, I guess, of some of the skills people learn in empathy boot camp. So that's amazing because I often get asked, you know, okay, aren't you just empathic or not? Like, can you really, really develop empathy? Isn't it possible? And we know Jamil Zaki has written a lot about Mm -hmm. this. I really love his work where it's just like, even thinking that you can become more empathic actually means that you might show up as more empathic. And I think that's a really fascinating um, tidbit of, of, um, of knowledge to have. How do you define empathy, first of all? And can you give us some empathy basics? So empathy basics, now empathy boot camp, we call this the empathy arc. And so, you know, it uh, might be useful to just kind of look at two different types of empathy. So like I said, when we're feeling with the other person, you know, for instance, a friend calls, they say that they have COVID and you're feeling that heartache with them. That's effective empathy. 
what we know, and you probably know this as well from research, is that people who score pretty high on effective empathy are actually a little bit more at risk for empathy fatigue and burnout because it takes a lot of energy to feel with another person. You know, what if you're feeling with um, your entire family, your entire community, mm-hmm. you know? And then there's a different type of empathy that um, Jamil Zaki um, talks a lot about. Uh, Jody Halpern, also another empathy researcher at UC Berkeley, talks about and that we teach at Empathy Bootcamp, and that is called cognitive empathy. So that rests under the premise that each person's experience, even if my friend calls me and says she has COVID, I only know how that would feel for me. I really don't know how that feels for my friend. So cognitive empathy is that perspective taking muscle. It's like, gosh, I know how that would feel for me, but I don't know how that would feel for my friend who's going through it. You know, I wonder um, what's going on in her world, right? It's a little pause. And we're actually then recognizing that each person, as um, Jody Halpern always says, is a per- their experience is unique solely to them. Mm-hmm. You know, when we get in that place of cognitive empathy, what we can do then is it sparks our curiosity. We can actually ask questions that key us into what our friend or what our neighbor, you know, might need. So when you get effective empathy, feeling with the other person, cognitive empathy, kind of wondering about their world, joining hands, what we have is empathic concern. So, you know, both are working together. We're feeling a little bit with the other person and we have this curiosity. We're going to ask them, you know, about kind of, you know, what they need, what's going on for them. Now, the kind of empathy pitfalls, as we call them, you know, one is empathic distress. That's when maybe that effective empathy gets so high that you're feeling so much with another person that you're burning out. And if empathic distress isn't addressed, then what can happen is we, you know, just to protect ourselves, we just become callous people. You know, we hear about yet another family member that has a different political view than we do. And instead of responding with kindness or openness, we might be, you know, just ready to go to war with them or something. So, mm-hmm. so much of what you talked about at the the early steps, I feel are just having self-awareness that someone else might have a different experience mm-hmm. than you, because we're so, we have, you know, we're, we have reflexes. We watch a movie. We think everybody sees the movie the same way we did, or we read a book, same, same. Um, so that self-awareness is important, but then you also use this word of curiosity, right? Which is something that I think we can practice. We can practice becoming more curious. So have you seen like this, this, you know, the training that you offer, can you offer any examples of things that maybe have stayed with you where you were like, wow, this person really had a light bulb moment. I just wonder if you have any anecdotes to share. Oh, that's such a great question. You know, that's such a great question. And let me kind of just take a pause to think, you know, about that. Um, I mean, we certainly do a lot of exercises and we've done a lot of training with people who work in the helping professions. Mm-hmm. Um, and we certainly have had people when we do these exercises, especially with cognitive empathy, and we give them a little scenario, you know, something they might encounter in the workplace, mm-hmm. a student who's really upset, you mm-hmm. know, and you want so much to help the student. Um, and then, you know, to kind of take that perspective, you know, well, what, what's going on in the student's world. And we've certainly had people say, wow, I never even realized that you could think that way. I didn't realize, I mean, I guess I think this way, but I didn't realize that was a way to practice empathy. Mm. Wow. That really opened up so much for me. And I know this is also going to help with the communication, 
you know, with this person. Um, so I think it's a really kind of eye-opening kind of concept for a lot of people that it, empathy isn't something you're born with or you're not born with. It's not solely about feelings. That's a part of it. But you can really think in a way that gets you to be more empathic with the other person, gets you curious about their world so that you're asking different questions. You're actually engaging then in the interpersonal connection in the conversation differently. So since we're talking about um, self-awareness and curiosity, let me ask a question because I'm curious. What's your backstory? What drew you into the research that you do, the work that you do with patients and, and with the empathy boot camp? Like, what, tell us a little bit about you and what motivates you. Oh, that's such a great question. Um, a little bit about me. I mean, in a summary, I am someone, even as a kid, who has always been told that I am too sensitive. Mm. Um, I've often been told by people that I'm just kind of this natural born empath. Um, and I recognize that I'm also someone who would score very high on effective empathy. And so my interest in kind of empathy education and um, tools, you know, that I can use just to, for myself and also in my, you know, psychotherapy practice and with my patients, um, that these are things that can really make people feel better about themselves and also improve people's relationships. You know, and so I think my backstory, my interest in empathy has been, you know, learning these different components of empathy and then also being somebody who at times has felt um, kind of wrung out, um, experiencing my own empathic distress and also grew up in a family with um, family members who are very different than I am. You know, I would not say that, um, you know, my uh, other family members, while they're empathic, they would not score high on effective empathy. And so just recognizing if I'd had this knowledge, you know, or if my parents had had this knowledge growing up, how that could have maybe improved our communication, our understanding with each other. Maybe I would have been a little less, you know, um, quick to judge my own mother because she just sees situations differently than I do. She's not that, you know, um, kind of huge F feeler. Um, but maybe, you know, with these tools, I would have realized maybe she was doing something else. So I think these are tools also that can help, you know, families and help people, um, to just get a different rhythm of communication going. Yeah. And it's interesting to talk to you particularly because you are a practicing, um, psychotherapist, there's there's a, a very big history of how important empathy is around empathic listening within that sort of therapeutic uh, relationship. And now so much of empathy training is about sort of empathic leadership and building empathic cultures, you know, the movement towards EDI, the movement towards um, mental health in the workplace, all of that kind of, you know, is a wraparound why empathy is so important. But I think what I want to kind of tease out a little bit with you because of your vantage point is so I teach in a classroom and I like to think of myself as an empathic um, uh, faculty member, teacher. We co-create the learning environment we're in. I'm in touch with, you know, you know, alum long after they've graduated, I've got a really great relationship with them. And I think part of that is because I care so deeply about them as human beings before they're like a student getting a grade in my class. And it doesn't take very long or it doesn't take very much to kind of, you know, just see below the surface how much is happening for them in their lives. 
the anxiety they feel, the stresses that they feel, the overwhelm, the self-doubt. Um, and I don't think it's just youth in undergraduate programs. I think just humanity is kind of overwhelmed by so much right now. So I wonder whether or not you could talk a little bit about just showing up in an, as an empathic person, given what society, like the entire population of humanity is going through and how necessary it is for us mm-hmm. to be kinder to each other. Absolutely. I mean, that's something we also address in empathy boot camp, and we call that empathy and insight. But we actually are starting to talk about each person's just kind of like empathy type, mm. you know, and knowing your type, which is informed a little bit by like, you know, attachment theory, like attachment types. For instance, I'll use myself as an example. Um, I would say that I'm somebody in a state of distress, right? There's a lot of anxiety, maybe a lot of people around me suffering that I am probably likely to be like what we call a flutter, meaning that I become overwhelmed with emotion. I stop thinking and I just spring into action, but that might not be what the other person needs. And I'm not doing myself any favors, you know? So we teach this in empathy boot camp because I think there's value in people knowing kind of when you're activated, when you're in distress, where do you go to, you know? Also, what is your empathy type in the sense of what's an easy lift for you? Empathy can be so many different things. It doesn't have to be the thing that the person wants from you. It's what you can give to them in the moment, right? right? So we talk about in um, Kelsey's book, There Is No Good Card for This. She has this whole section on um, empathic gestures, you know, and a list of those. So we talk about those too. Maybe you're the person that, you know, you need a little bit of space. And so you don't want to rush over to your neighbors and, you know, um, talk with them for hours. Um, but could you, you know, send them some flowers? Could you drop off a warm meal? What is the easy lift for you that shows that you care for somebody else, but doesn't wear you out in the meantime? Yeah. And since you've mentioned uh, empathy fatigue, I actually paid attention to that because typically the literature talks about compassion fatigue, but you right. put emphasis on empathy fatigue. Could you share why you use that term and what that means? I think that they probably mean, to be honest, like one in the same, we just use empathy, empathic distress or empathy fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, since we're doing our work on empathy, I think if you dug a little bit deeper in the research, though, I think the difference may be compassion fatigue because that is the term that's used. There's more research on compassion fatigue and what makes up compassion fatigue, but differentiates that between burnout. There's overlap between that and and empathy fatigue, you know, hitting that wall where you just feel like you have nothing left to give. You start to feel detached. You know, you might have fantasies about like getting away from everyone, getting on that plane, uh, going on a trip by yourself, just kind of the, you know, holding up the signage, no one else bother me um, type of thing. And we have to normalize that that happens to us, right? And that it's common. It's nothing. And it can cause us to feel so ashamed. Like, wow, I love this person. Why am I fantasizing about getting on a plane and tell, you know, saying, please don't bother me or put, you know, um, but that that's just a human reaction, you know, to maybe our own distress, our own stress, and that there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't make us a bad friend. doesn't make us a bad um, family member. It makes us a human being. Hallelujah. Today's episode was brought to you by Grand Here and International, an on-demand coaching provider for individuals and companies. (laughs) So 
I also noticed on your website, which I thought was fascinating, that there are a lot of things that people misunderstand about empathy. There's myths and truths. Can I go one at a time and then you can? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'll be fun. Myth number one, empathy isn't important for leadership. What's the truth? I mean, we know, and you probably know this as well, that in research, we um, know that empathic leaders, um, you know, make for, um, you know, their employees are happier their employees stay longer in the job, um, things run smoother. So this kind of old belief that empathy is something that's um, reserved for your therapist's office, you know, is certainly such um, a myth and um, completely untrue. So. Right. So missed, myth bust number one. All right. <laughs> empathy clouds our judgment. Oh yeah. We're like not able to make good decisions because we're being empathic. Right. I think there's this myth and especially probably for people outside, you know, of the helping profession or maybe even inside the helping profession um, that think, oh, if I can get to that empathy is all about emotion. So, oh my goodness, if I get too emotional, I'm just not going to be able to make any decisions at all you know, which is certainly also not true. It's exercising that effective empathy, but then exercising that cognitive empathy. And actually you're probably going to be a better decision maker, you know, not a worse decision maker. Totally preaching to the choir as somebody who talks about purposeful empathy, right? Like, yes, yes. I love that. Yeah. Uh, Myth number three, empathy creates burnout. I think there's also this myth that the reason we get burnt out is because we're having to be empathic all the time or give, give, give. And when we learn how to exercise empathy in the right way, um, not that we're doing it in a wrong way, but maybe in a better way for us, shall we say, Mm -hmm. um, empathy doesn't have to equal burnout at all. You know, um, I know Dr. Jody Halpern has done a lot of research on empathy and curiosity. And that's what she calls empathic curiosity. And what we know when we look at research on empathic curiosity, specifically in healthcare, is that physicians or healthcare providers that can be empathically curious about their patients um, do not get more burned out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. So myth, myth number three busted. Uh, last one, empathy is unproductive. And I'll just, add, before you say anything, I often get asked, well, we're a very high performance culture. We care really deeply about our KPIs, right? Isn't this going to kind of like all this woo-woo stuff going to interfere with our actual success? Absolutely. Like empathy is um, a showstopper. You know, that's kind of the myth that it's useless in a way, right? That, and really what's going on there is there needs to be a challenge to this mindset, right? This mindset on the bottom line, this mindset always on the outcomes on looking this extrinsic motivation that our culture is so driven by that we know in research if causes us to be miserable, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So looking at the components, we can't change how, you know, in business, you know, you can have your sales goal, but you can't change how many people buy your product or don't. You can't change whether or not your CEO decides to do a reorg, but you can change how you deal with it. Um, how you see the role of empathy as showing up in the workplace, you know, and how that can make a difference. Um, so how much do you cover or how much would you like to share about sort of self-empathy, the idea of like kind of paying attention to your internal dialogue and being kind along the lines of sort of compassion, self-compassion that Kristen Neff talks about a lot. What works for you? What, what have you got to say about that? 
I think there can be a lot of like exercises and self-empathy or just kind of self-love. And one is like an empathy boot camp. We talk about these non-listening styles and I'll give you an example of one. One we call the epidemiologist. So let's say, you know, your friend comes to you and says that they were just diagnosed with cancer, mm -hmm. you know, breast cancer. They, they think it's early stages. And you're like, well, I read this research and it said on early stages, you know, 95% of women um, survive beyond the five-year mark. And they have a lot of new treatments that can help. That's the epidemiologist. I'm going strictly to science and data, mm. but I haven't really asked my friend, is that what my friend needs? Mm. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. We all do these things when we probably have a little anxiety about what somebody's sharing with us and we want to help. Mm -hmm. Empathy boot camp, what we say is to first take a breath and pause for three seconds. And then to start with, I'm so sorry to hear that. How are you doing today? Mm. And I think we can use that exercise with ourselves, with self-empathy, self, what are, whether we call it self-empathy, self-love, self-compassion. Gosh, there's that inner critic, you know, lighting up. Take a pause. I'm very moved by that. Just that yeah. little moment. I hope everybody who's listening and watching took a deep breath and, uh, and sat in with that. Uh, I, we're not asking that question of how are you doing today? How are you doing today? How are you doing even? And we can even make that a little bit more specific. Um, how are you doing right now? Mm. Right now sounds different than today, mm. right? Um, right now is saying, I'm tuned in with you in this very moment. How are you right now? And I've been learning through um, the work of the Center of Building a Culture of Empathy, Edwin Rich. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, mm -hmm. but um, he runs Empathy Circles and he's been doing a lot of training of facilitators. And it's a dialogue. It's not a dialogue. That's wrong. It's a it's um, a conversation that happens with a group of people where people pair up and just for a few minutes, one person's the speaker, one person's the listener. And the person will speak in little sound bites of like two or three thoughts or two or three sentences. And then the listener will reflect back what they heard and it'll go back and forth in a dance for let's say four or five minutes and then it'll switch to another pair. And what I find so fascinating about this, it sounds so simple right now, right? It's just like such a joke, right? But when you are listening, with the intention of reflecting back what you hear, not verbatim where you're busy memorizing. You're not judging. You're not thinking about your own opinion. You're just trying to reflect back what you hear. At first, it kind of almost sounds robotic, but it is such a, a, a gift when somebody hears back what they have said. And I think, and I do this too, I'm very guilty of it when I'm in a circumstance where I, I feel that somebody is in pain or in distress, I want to soothe that. And I don't provide enough space to just let them share what's on their hearts. And that's what you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Providing that empathic space. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, and I think sometimes we don't provide that space because we're in distress over the other person's distress. Yeah. So our quick um, kind of hair trigger reaction really to jump into action or to do whatever um, is an attempt to also make ourselves feel better. Yeah. 
no silence because silences are uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. Let's fill in the gaps. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So how can we show empathy, even if we're struggling with empathy fatigue ourselves? That's such a great um, question. Um, There's an article actually that Kelsey Crow and I wrote, gosh, was it last October that addresses this? um, And we wrote it for NPR about how to show um, empathy without burning out. I think that was, um, I think it's really about one, identifying maybe three empathic gestures that align with who you are, that feel like easy lifts. What are three ways you can show up for somebody that don't require too much of you, you know, and keeping those in mind. I think also we kind of think of somebody else as having a hard time. We can't have any needs ourselves. And especially if the person who's suffering is somebody close, close to us, a family member, you know, um, a child, um, you know, a close friend. And so to recognize that somebody else's suffering doesn't mean that our self-care goes on the back burner. Yeah, that's very important. And how can we extend empathy without burning out? So how do we do it so that we save ourselves from that cliff? Yeah, choosing those gestures that are easy lifts, you know, sending a text message, dropping off flowers, um, finding our own support networks, whether or not that's in our own therapy with our own close friends, um, paying attention to what we need. So these easy lifts are not only preventative, but they can be used when you're in that state. Yes, absolutely. So those easy lifts, I mean, that's, that's a really great takeaway um, from this conversation that I'm going to give some thought to what can my easy lifts be? I mean, not that I'm, I'm feeling burnt out right now, but I think it's good to just be aware of them. Right. Absolutely. And to just kind of think of them, think of three easy lifts, you know, for instance, if you're the type of person, I'll use myself as an example, like when somebody else is suffering, I'm definitely like a person that doesn't mind getting on the phone and listening, you know, kind of, um, and I'm also, I think my love language is also probably the gift giver. Mm-hmm. So, you know, drill that down. It's an easy lift for me to send somebody a gift. Mm-hmm. And I even have it drilled down even more where I have it on certain websites, you know, flower places that I like to send from. I have their address all ready to go, you know, mm-hmm. in the, in my address book um, or in my paperless post. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it a very easy lift to send flowers or to send a card. You know, this is reminding me of something that I heard from Brené Brown, where she said, you know, the most wholehearted people that she interviewed through her research had the most boundaries. Those people who were wholehearted had boundaries where they they recognized what their own limits were. And because they honored their own limits, then they could be boundless with their love and their vulnerability and their share. Kind of sounds like that a little bit here. Absolutely. Yeah. Like knowing that it's okay to have your own limits and being truthful with yourself in your own reality. I think sometimes we fool ourselves and we think that we'll be able to do something that is going to be a real like heavy lift for us. Mm -hmm. And that just sets us up sometimes to feel bad, you know, feel like we're letting somebody down to feel guilty. Yeah. But we can turn that same question that we would ask maybe an alien friend, how are you doing right now? to ourselves by asking ourselves, what can you give right now? You know, 
Yeah, we, okay. Another big takeaway. I'm just having a moment where it's like, we're so hard on ourselves. For example, my sister was in town this week with her niece, with my niece, her daughter. And uh, she got up earlier than me and she uh, put two bagels in uh, the toaster and was feeding the girls for breakfast. And I got up and saw that she was feeding the ba- feeding them bagels, which I had planned for their lunch at summer camp. And I was annoyed with her uh, and reacted poorly. And I later in the day was coming back to like, why was I such a jerk to my sister when she was preparing them breakfast? It, like, doesn't make any sense. And I realized it was because I felt ashamed that I didn't have the time to prepare lunches in advance that, you know, that I had to rely on this like simple bagel lunch. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. we are so hard on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I mean, just like how that script is so not necessarily because my guess is that wasn't in your conscious awareness when this bubbled up for you, but listen to that script that just takes off this false narrative that really has plays a big role in our real time feelings in that moment, you know, um, and a reflection of this, you know, the self judgment. Um, and when we're doing that and we're in that place, what happens is then we're kind of one, not only are we treating ourselves, you know, unkindly, we're missing out on the gift of somebody else's empathy, yeah. right? Because yeah. if you're annoyed with your sister, you know, for what I'm putting these bagels, but um, really it's this, let me try to help out here, you yeah. know? Yeah. Or thank goodness you're taking care of breakfast. Yes, thanks for taking charge. Thanks for taking, you know, thanks for taking the lead. Um, yes. Yeah, it's so easy to do when we all do it. We all do this. You know, I do not know how we've become a culture that is so harsh on we're so harsh on ourselves. Um, You know, there's so much shame. There's so much guilt. There's so much anxiety. And we know just in research on emotions and emotion education that these emotions can be very toxic for us. They really block our ability to feel joy with another person, even to feel sometimes sadness, you know. So how can we work also with these sticky emotions that, you know, tend to beat us up on the inside? Yes. So I'm going to include information about the empathy bootcamp in the description below. Could you take a minute? I'm going to ask you my final question of the, of the interview in just a sec, but could you take a minute to talk about Kelsey's book? Cause I want to make sure that we, uh, we plug that. Awesome. Um, Kelsey's book is called There Is No Good Card for This. And it is um, a book that was also co-authored with um, Emily McDowell, who has done a lot of empathy cards. So it's very beautifully illustrated. A lot of the tips that I've talked about today in the podcast and a lot of the tips we share in Empathy Bootcamp um, can be found in Kelsey's book, those non-listening styles. Um, there's a whole section on empathic gestures. Um there's a great phrase in there that I just love that she uses. Um, kindness is your credential, you know? Wow. So, you know, just remembering that, like kindness is your credential. You don't have to turn yourself inside out. You don't have to be someone you're not in order to be there for someone else. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Okay. Last question, Julie. Thank you so much. This has been such a joy and pleasure. Um, can you think of a time in your life when you were on the receiving end of empathy and what that meant for you? Let me, 
Well, I mean, definitely what comes to mind is kind of just during um, the, you know, right before the pandemic, my husband had to close his business that he'd had for 20 years, um, which really changed the the finances of, you know, of our family and just um, the kindness and support of friends during, you know, during that time, what, you know, taking me out to lunch or, you know, just um, being there to listen or just to say, gosh, that must be really hard. Um, really, really meant so much. So. so you had some friends holding the space for you and exactly. Wonderful. Well, thank you for all the work that you do. And I'm thrilled to know that more people will know about the Empathy Boot Camp and may get in touch with you for a little bit of training. And it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Anita. Thanks a bunch. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week at Purposeful Empathy. What if you had access to your own council of coaches to help you break free from your thinking clutter and make important decisions and liberate you from whatever is holding you back? At Grand Huron International, you get to choose the coach of your choice anytime from anywhere. Visit GrandHuronInternational.com and harness the power of on-demand coaching today.